0: Thank you. morning. Um, As Matt says, we are continuing the series, and today we're gonna look at the psalm quoted in the story of the betrayal of Jesus. Now, I'm sure quite a few of us have had some experience of betrayal in our lives, obviously not on the scale that Jesus did, but a lot of us can identify with the experience to some extent. For me, I was in my last year at primary school, and I'm so old it was last year, it wasn't year six. one day, me and a couple of friends were summoned to the headmaster's office and accused of doing awful things to another friend, which was a complete shock to all of us in the room because it wasn't true. We'd all been best friends all the way through primary school, so the fact that this was happening was just incomprehensible. And I can remember feeling devastated just not knowing what to do or how to react. And then my dad, bless him in his very quiet and understated way, just told me to go in his bedroom, pick up his Bible, which he'd left open, and read Psalm 91. And it was just like God was speaking to me, and I, and I realized that God really was active and alive through his word. Those words in the psalm brought me great comfort and strength because I knew that whatever was going on, God was in my corner and he was looking after me. Now, in the end, it all got resolved when the girl admitted that she'd made it all up, but the the sense of betrayal was still there. The pain was real, but I absolutely know that God's word, and in this case the Psalms, can bring real comfort and strength in the midst of betrayal. So, as we look at Jesus' story betrayal, I want to try and get into the story with our hearts and emotions as well as our minds. So we're going to look more closely at this story and look at why the psalm was quoted, how Jesus felt and reacted in the situation, and what we can learn from this. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John 13 from verse 18 onwards. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe that i am who i am very truly i tell you whoever accepts anyone i send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me after he'd said this jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly i tell you one of you is going to betray me his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly but no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Okay, so let's start with the obvious question. Why does Jesus quote Psalm 41 at this particular point? And I guess the obvious answer is that simply Jesus adds this here as it mirrors his own experience. And this is the kind of thing that we do and what my dad did for me. We take passages from the Bible that resonate with our experience and draw comfort or lessons from them. And in some ways, Jesus is no exception. After all, the experience Jesus has here and what David did in the psalm is remarkably similar. David was betrayed by both his son and a close friend, and he felt the hurt keenly. And as we know from this story, Jesus is about to feel the hurt of betrayal too. The bit of Psalm 41 that's quoted is just one line, but the verses around that are really interesting and worth looking at. So we're going to look at Psalm 41 from verse 5. It says, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. The really pertinent thing here to notice is that David says he expects to be treated badly by his enemies and there's plenty of them around him, and that's bad enough. But what really hurts is that his close friend has turned against him, and that hurts so much more than an enemy as he was prepared for those to act like that. So this passage shows that what really hurt was that a close friend, someone he trusted, who ate with him, shared hospitality with him, has unexpectedly turned against him. In this psalm, you can hear the raw pain of betrayal and treachery and hurt. So the simplest answer is that Jesus includes this psalm as it mirrors his own experience of being betrayed by Jesus, that he's being betrayed by one of his inner circle and not by his enemies. But if we just leave it there, we lose so much richness that this reference to the psalm brings to the story of Jesus. For the audience at the time of Jesus, it would mean so much more, and we can kind of lose some of those inferences as we come to this with our Western modern ears. Jesus is quoting a psalm about David's life, and here's the key, he's applying it to himself. Now we know that today, don't we, that looking from the benefit of hindsight and this side of the cross, of course we know that's what he was doing. He's fulfilling scripture. Yet to his contemporary Jewish audience, this was shocking. Jesus was saying by quoting this psalm that this is what happened to David, but not just for the sake of saying it moves his own experience, but as verse 18 says, what's going to happen is to fulfill this psalm. Jesus is saying what happened to David is now going to be fulfilled in him. He's applying Old Testament scriptures and not just saying it helps him in his situation like we would, but that he himself is fulfilling that scripture. And again, this can be obvious to us, but but to his audience, this was quite shocking. By appropriating references from David to himself, Jesus was declaring that he was the fulfillment of that promise to David and his descendants that had been made centuries ago. That Jesus is the divinely appointed king, the Messiah that has been promised. That he is the one in David's descendants that's finally come to be the promised one jesus by quoting this psalm and saying he's fulfilling it he's saying that he's the messiah that they've been waiting for which would have been explosive so this psalm is quoted to declare that jesus is the messiah the true anointed king that's been promised and i think the second reason is that it shows that the messiah is fully divine that jesus is god and again that can be quite obvious to us today but again to the audience at the time The understanding was that Messiah was gonna be anointed king. They were not necessarily expecting God to come and be that himself and take on human form. That was so not what they were expecting, but this is exactly what Jesus says that quoting this Psalm is all about. So verse 19 says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does, you will believe that I am who I am. Now, I've never noticed this before, but I think this is the key to this passage. Jesus is telling people by quoting the psalm that he will be betrayed and specifically in what manner before it happens so that people will then see it and then know that he is God. The I am quote echoes the great revelation of God's name to Moses, I am who I am. Jesus is evidently using this psalm to say this is going to happen, I am fulfilling these promises and facts as a sign that I am the Messiah and by the way the Messiah is God himself. This was breathtaking to his Jewish audience, yet we can almost take that for granted now. But maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we need to remember that Jesus is God and how awesome and amazing that truth really is. Have we perhaps seen Jesus a little bit too much as a friend and forgotten that he is Almighty God as well? Do we just need to be reminded that Jesus is fully God? And then thirdly, I think this psalm uh, quoted shows that God's always in control despite how circumstances might look. So Jesus uses this psalm passage as food for the soul, if you like, not so much as we do as a mirror of our experiences that we can learn from, but to reveal his true identity, truly God, the Messiah, but also to show that in knowing all things and what was ahead of him, God was in control. Things are about to get really bad for Jesus. Horrific death on the cross is now just around the corner. But quoting this passage that was written hundreds of years beforehand reminds Jesus that all things are planned out and purposed by God and nothing is outside of his control. Using the psalm pointed to him as the Messiah and fully God, but also, I think, brought comfort and strength to him that even in that terrible ordeal that was about to unfold, God's plans were being actioned. So that's a quick look at why I think the psalm was quoted and shows us that Jesus is fully God and reminds us of how truly amazing and powerful that is. But what of the actual betrayal itself? How does Jesus deal with this? And what else does it show us about Jesus? So firstly, as we've seen, the psalm quoted ahead of betrayal shows that Jesus is fully God, but the betrayal itself shows us that Jesus was fully human as well. And that's really important because it shows God with skin on, as it were. How Jesus reacts and feels gives us an idea of how God feels and acts in a way we can relate to. So verse 21 says, after he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, "'Truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me.'" So even though Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed and by who, Jesus was still troubled in his spirit. And that really struck me when I read this. Just because he's God, we can think that it's all right for Jesus, he just got on with things. But no, he felt the deep pain and hurt in the same way that you and I do. And I think we need reminding of that every so often, especially when we're going through tough times. Because I think it's deeply comforting, it means that he knows exactly what our pains feel like. He can identify closely with us. We don't have a remote, uncaring God. In fact, the exact opposite. Not only does God see our pain, he's experienced it firsthand through Jesus. We don't have a Buddha-like God with arms crossed and eyes closed. We've got a God who walked this earth and suffered pain for us. We've got a God who flung his arms wide on a cross and said, come to me. So it shows us that Jesus hurts and feels like we do. The act of betrayal in this story is a really deep hurt. So just imagine the scene, just before this story, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet in an act of humility and intimacy and love. We've now discovered that Jesus knew that betrayal was going to happen and who would do it, but he's just washed all of the disciples' feet. He doesn't say to Judas, no, I'm not doing yours. His love and obedience reaches to everyone, even those who will become enemies. He doesn't treat anyone differently. Let that just sink in for a while. He knows what's about to happen and he still washes Judah's feet with the same love he showed everyone else. And then after that experience, they're having a meal together, which is where this passage picks up the story. Now, John doesn't say it's the Last Supper, although the other Gospels do. But again, the significance of this detail can get a little lost to us. In Jewish culture, the greatest breach of etiquette was to sit and eat with a friend and then later betray them because sharing a meal together was a sign of covenantal friendship in that culture. Indeed, many Jews would simply not share a meal at all if they were not on friendly terms for any reason. So the very fact that they are eating together at the point of betrayal is a very deep wound, the worst possible type of betrayal. In fact, verse 26 says at the very point that Jesus gives Judas something to eat, the very height of the sign of cherished friendship in that culture is the very point that Judas' betrayal really begins. Jesus knew deeply the pain of betrayal. It was the most intimate, deepest, closest, personal betrayal that you can get, and he felt the full human cost of that, just like you and I would. No wonder he says that he was deeply troubled in spirit. But as awful as that is, we are reminded that whatever we are facing, Jesus understands our pains, our wounds, our rejections as he's experienced them as well. He can empathize with us and comfort us as he is fully human as well as fully God. And thirdly, while Jesus feels hurts in the same way that we do, he deals with them in a very different way to the way we do. So how does Jesus deal with betrayal like this? Although he is fully human, he doesn't deal with it like we do, he provides the perfect role model of how we should behave. We're sinful and we mess up, but Jesus shows us how God does deal with it and how man should deal with it. And this is the bit that staggers me. Jesus deals with it not with anger or revenge or bad mouthing as we might do, but with pure love and compassion. First of all, he says, one of you will betray me. He doesn't come out and say it's Judas and shame him in front of everyone, which would perhaps be our reaction. He just doesn't do that. Now, we read that today knowing that it's Judas and think everyone else knew it as well, but that's not what it says. The Bible says that they would no clue who it was at this stage. They're talking among themselves as to who it is. Judas was not an obvious candidate. He was not the one on the outside of the group, the one that was a bit off message. He was as close as any of the others. Uh, as far as the disciples were concerned. And I love the fact they're having this conversation among themselves, and you can imagine them nudging each other and saying, who is it, who is it, you know, you, you ask Jesus, you asked Jesus. That's the normal kind of human reaction to this story. Yet even when pushed, Jesus doesn't name Judas out loud. He just subtly uses a sign so as not to embarrass Judas by giving him the bread. Now I don't know about you, but that's not how I would have handled it. I would have made it very clear that it was Judas. But Jesus doesn't, and in fact, he then does something truly remarkable. He actually tells Judas to go and do what he's got to do. He actually gives him the authority to go and betray him, again without letting on what he knows and shaming him or condemning him either. How amazing is that? Even at the worst point of betrayal, and let's not forget that this is going to cause a death on the cross for Jesus, Jesus acts with nothing but love, compassion, and dignity for Judas. Even though deeply hurt and troubled, Jesus acts with unconditional love. Even in the midst of human suffering, the unconditional love of God shines through. Jesus models what being a perfect human is like and what God's perfect character is all about at the same time. We have a God who is totally trustworthy, loving and compassionate. If you ever doubt that, remind yourself of this passage and how Jesus treats even those who are willing to betray him to death. And then remember that God's love for you is unconditional and unrelenting. So, what can we learn from this passage and apply to our lives? First of all, God is in control. Jesus is declaring that he is God and he demonstrated that he's in control of everything. No matter how bad things get, God has a plan for our lives and God is always in control and will bring it to completion. He knows the beginning from the end and we can draw comfort from the fact that he will bring us through. Even if it takes a long time or it looks completely bleak at the moment, God's promises always come good and he can be trusted. Secondly, Jesus has suffered like us and knows what pain is. He's experienced our pains, our hurts, our deepest rejections. And we do suffer and have real pain in this life. And let's not gloss over that and think we should just get on with it or just have more faith. Sometimes we need to acknowledge the pain because it's real. And remember that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. We can take it to God. And like the psalmist, we can share it with God in all its rawness. Because God knows exactly what we're talking about. He can empathize with us. And he knows exactly what to say to us and how to comfort us. Jesus is with us in the midst of it. And his life shows that God is there with us and wants to love us through it. Our God is not oblivious and unseeing, unfeeling or unhearing. Our God has walked the earth and experienced it with us so that he can comfort us. In fact, because of this, we have Jesus who prays to God for us and he can pray exactly what we need because he knows from first-hand experience. It may feel that God's not there in the bad times, but he is. Remind yourself of passages like this that shows that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and that he's there for you. Thirdly, Jesus gives a model to emulate when in tough situations. And this is never easy. But Jesus knows our deep pain and hurts, and he used his own trials to show us his character and love, and we can learn to follow that example. Now, we might never get to the level that Jesus demonstrated, but we can at least try and emulate it as much as we can. We can choose to forgo vengeance and hatred and try to love and show compassion instead with the help of his love. Now, going back to my primary school experience, I remember having to choose whether to carry on and be hurt or whether to try and find a different way. And shortly after this, uh, most people in the class went off for the end of year holiday and me and this girl and a few others were left behind. And I remember just before they went, my friends were going, don't you be friends with her and all this, you know, and I was thinking, oh. um, But while they were away, I thought I can either carry on like this or I can do something about it. And it wasn't easy, but we started talking together and we kind of became friends of some sorts. Fast forward a couple of years, and we were just happening to be talking about it again, and I was taken aback by the the sheer venom and anger that these people still had towards this girl, and it was you know several years ago now, and I didn't feel like that anymore, and I'm not saying that I'm a saint by any means, but by choosing to try and take the love not vengeance path, it actually had far more benefits for me than the vengeance path had had for my friends, and that's not to negate the pain. But somehow, by, by trying to emulate Jesus like that, it enabled God to heal the wound and not let it fester for years and get worse. So it might be that we just choose not to badmouth the person who was hurt us in public, or not tell everyone else who it is to be vengeful or publicly shame them. Jesus never glossed over the pain and hurt. He just chose to meet that pain with love and compassion. We can perhaps, in a small measure, choose to try and follow his example even if we just make baby steps. And then finally, Jesus will never betray us. He will never turn his back on us as he's closer than a brother. We may have people who turn their backs on us, but Jesus will never do that. We may think that we do things that mean Jesus will give up on us, stop loving us. But the example we have is how Jesus treated Judas, showing us that Jesus has unconditional love for us. If he can love even someone who's about to send him to his death, then we can take hope and comfort from his character that he will always love us. It may be that we need to be reminded of that, that Jesus is God, that his character doesn't change over the years. He's the same in this story as he is now. He loves everyone and has compassion. He went to the cross for us, and that means that his love is solid. Look at the gospels and how he treats people. Even on the cross as he's dying, he looks after his mother by providing with someone to take care of her. In extreme circumstances where most people would break and any veneer of goodness would crack and any bad characteristics shine through, Jesus proves himself true and consistent in his love. So take heart if you need to hear that today. So we might not face betrayal by friends every day, or at least I hope we don't, but we can all learn lessons from this passage. Let's remember that Jesus is fully human and fully God, and try not to forget one or focus on one more than the other. We may need to look again and see if we've unbalanced our view of Jesus a little bit. We may need to refocus and remember that he's powerful and commands our respect and worship as God. We may need to remember that Jesus fully identifies with us and our human feelings, and he models what being a human should look like. We may need to be reminded that he's fully God and loves unconditionally, that he's got everything in his hands and will always keep us safe. Even his enemies he treated with respect, dignity and compassion, so that we know his love for us is true and real. We can trust him with our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances, whatever they are. And we can perhaps model a bit more of that love to our friends, neighbors, and work colleagues, because we're reminded of just how extraordinary that love that God has for each one of us. I'm gonna invite the band back, but as, um, as they're coming up, as I was preparing this, I don't normally have this, but I kind of had had an idea that, that God wanted to say something specific to a, um, someone or some people. And, um, and it might be that you feel that you've done something that God can't forgive you for, or that you've something in you that, that you think is too hard to love, or you feel that you're broken and not fixable. But the example of this passage shows us that God loves you. The very fact that you feel like that shows that your heart still longs for God, and he wants to reach out to you and show that he loves and cares for you today. He will only ever treat you with compassion and unconditional love, and he longs to meet with you and listen to you today. And he's not gonna publicly name and shame you, but treat you with dignity and respect and love. If you need to hear that today, come to Jesus either on your own privately or get someone to pray with you during the song or at the end. But please, if that is you, then please don't go today without um, encountering God for yourself. And there was a, a song that someone gave me the other day and it says, all my shame, all i failed to be, nailed upon a cross and left at Calvary. And that's so true, God's already taken all the stuff that you don't like about yourself, all that you've done wrong, that's already nailed on the cross and God's left it there. So you don't have to carry that around with you. So uh, yeah, please uh, do business with God if you need to.